Well, we are small this morning. The Lord is here. That's the important thing. Take your Bibles and turn over to Titus. We are looking at one verse this morning, and I think we'll finish that verse. Uh, verse 15, last verse of Titus chapter 2. And uh, I've been studying this verse this past week. Last couple of days, we're up there in, in Kentucky, and I went off and left my laptop. I usually do my notes on my laptop. So I'm going through the text, which is the best thing to do. <laughs> and, uh, but we're in Titus chapter 2, and we're in the last verse of chapter 2. And uh, before we read the text and then look at it, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Dear Father, we do thank you once again for being here. We are aware that we are a small group today, and yet at the same time, as I mentioned, the fact that you're here is the important issue. And so I just pray for us. I pray that this time that we have would be used of you, has been ordained by you, and will be the time that is spent by you, by your word, by your spirit in us to make us more of what you want us to be. We've been thinking this morning a lot about the pressures of life, and uh, I've been thinking about that even as I uh, was preparing for this message here that uh, we are aware that, that we go through difficult times, times in which we are stressed out, times in which we are uh, anxious for certain things, things that are important to us. And it seems sometimes from our perspective that these things go unheeded or unnoticed by you and that we are the only ones that seem to be concerned or, or carrying the burdens. And yet, even as I say that, and as I've said that to myself over the last several weeks, I know that that's not true. I know that you hear, I know that you care, I know that you're aware, and I know that you are using these things, that you're not stagnant, that you haven't gone to sleep, you're not in the other room, that uh, the things that are going on in our lives are going on with your permission. They even come from your, from your hand to help mold and shape and build us. And so we, by faith, would thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for these things and for this time. Thank you for this focus uh, in our lives. We would readily admit that there is a great deal of room needed in our lives for improvement. And um, we also recognize that suffering and hardship are usually the catalysts that you use to bring that growth into reality. So we thank you for this. Thank you for what you're doing, actively doing in our lives. Just help us to cooperate with you. And we anxiously await uh, seeing the solution, the answers to our prayers, and to see you work not so much in the way that we would like. I've learned that most of the time what I want is not really the best, but that what you want and how you want it. So we just 
commit this time to you as we look at your word and ask your blessing upon it for our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Verse 15 of Titus chapter 2 says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Those uh, words are words that uh, in the text that we're looking at seem to indicate that Paul is telling Titus to take seriously the words that are spoken to the children, to the people, to the saints, that they are very important and that there needs to be um, a careful oversight of those words and a careful um, provision of careful how you deal with, how, how you handle the words that are given to you. And so let's talk about that. I was thinking, even as I was preparing this and reading through the Bible, I, I uh, get to the Psalms and usually I'll take Psalm 119 and divide it up into little sections and jump ahead as I'm reading. When I get uh, well into the Psalms, I'll go ahead and read the first eight verses and then the next day after I read some more, I'll go ahead. That way when I get to Psalm 119, I usually have it read and to have that out of the way because it's such a long song. And I was doing that, and I came across verse 67 of Psalm 119. And verse 67 kind of startled me a little bit. It said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And I was thinking, is that, is that I mean, you, you ask yourself the questions when you're, when you're looking at scripture, at least I do. And uh, does that apply to me? Uh, do I go to go astray? Yeah, I do. And in fact, I've been aware over the last several months that the Lord has protected me time and time again in my life for myself and my decisions and the things that I want and the things that I pursue that are not best, they're not really God's, God's will. And that the Lord much like the farmer who has to hit the mule over the head with a two by four before he can get him to pull the plow. You've heard that story. Well, just like that stubborn mule, sometimes the Lord has to hit us overhead with a two by four before we'll pull the plow just to get our attention. And sometimes affliction is the tool that he uses, hardship or suffering. We know that, but yet at the same time, we are not appreciative of that when it comes. We don't like the way he does it or what he's doing but this verse makes it clear before i was afflicted i went astray but the result of that is now i keep your word it goes on to say you are good to do good teach me your statutes down in verse seven it was good for me that i was afflicted that i may learn your statutes the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silvers, silver pieces. God's law, God's statutes, God's word is valuable. That's our topic this morning. If, if we were to talk about, and I've heard MacArthur say that, and I, I thought that that's absolutely right, I agree with him there, that uh, the most valuable thing we possess is the scripture. We have the scripture, we can hold it in our hands, we can read it, and as we read it, God can unleash the power of heaven the power of Almighty God in our lives and can use these things in our lives to get our attention and to turn us away from self and self-centered goals, which is where 
I end up trying to pacify myself and cater to my comfort and cater to my light, my lust, whatever it is. And the Lord is able to use his word to purge these distractions out of my life. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about his word. And uh, we begin with that little verse there, verse 15, these things speak and exhort. When you study the scriptures and you see a phrase like these things, it's always a good idea to, to see what he's talking about when he says these things, because you can almost apply that, or if you want to be imaginative, apply that to a lot of different things, but we don't want to do that. We want to be accurate to the text. And so I was thinking about that and looking about that as I was in Titus, and uh, I would have you just look at a couple of verses there, Titus in chapter 1, verse 9, where after the Lord has, has uh, commissioned Paul to write to Titus, and he's asking Titus to uh, think about um, electing elders and putting elders in leadership positions in churches because it's important. The, the churches need this oversight. They need this direction and stuff. And uh, he says that one of the things that you are to appoint in the eldership are those that are able to give, give oversight. And he uses this phrase, he says, holding fast in there, to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. That holding fast, uh, the faithful word, that word fast there, has to do with cleaving. You could translate that cleaving to the faithful word. The word faithful could be translated trustworthy as well. So that he's saying here to be cleaving to the faithful word. These leaders are to be cleaving to the faithful word, which is in accordance or which is confirming to the teaching. The reference frequently in the New Testament, the early New Testament church, referred to teaching, it was usually the standard teaching, the accepted teaching, the teaching that is recognized. It's the teaching that Paul would be referring to when he said, uh, you heard uh, the words from me in the presence of many witnesses, these things to, to do. These are official teachings. And so he's talking about here holding fast or cleaving to the trustworthy word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he would be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. In other words, the leaders are to be able to exhort and refute. That almost sounds like our text, doesn't it? Our text there says these things speak and exhort and reprove. And by the way, it happens to be the two same words. Uh, these things uh, speak and uh, speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's the same words. And by the way, the same words also appear over in uh, 2 Timothy 4, uh, where he talks about um, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. He uses two of the same words in that list there. So th this whole area of exhorting and reproving he boils it down in our text so that you have one which is sort of a positive and another which is sort of a negative aspect of the oversight of protecting the word that is spoken. You see what we're saying there. So that's, that's 
I think that's an important thing to see as we're looking at this, that he says there, and in our text that we were looking at just a moment ago, to exhort and reprove, that's verse 9, chapter 1, um, with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. We've talked about that. And the thought comes to mind, uh, usually you think of health as being something that is affecting you physically, with your physical health. And it can be, uh, in fact, the, the, this word is used to speak in 3 John 2, to speak of hope that you're in good health. It talks about physical health. But it also is an example in our uh, book here in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, it's used to speak of healthy faith or sound faith. It's used the same word, sound faith. Faith that is and that would almost be the same as our doctrine, sound doctrine, sound faith, faith that is sound, faith that is conducive to spiritual health, preserves the truth, promotes spiritual health. And uh, so it's, it's, and then in our text, sound doctrine, when he talks about sound doctrine, he's talking about sound the doctrine that is, that preserves the, the truth of God, the word of God, uh, promotes spiritual health. Think about it. The most important, if, I'm, if this is right, and I believe it is, the most important item we possess is the book that is given to us from God. Um, one writer said, I build on no authority ancient or modern, but the scriptures. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God has condescended to teach the way. He's written it down in the book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me that book of God. It's crucial that we take God's truth seriously and that we apply it to our lives and really take it, uh, make sure that we're getting it accurate. And so here is this, this uh, phrase here talking about sound doctrine, sound health, these things that are given to us. Paul uses the same phrase in chapter 2 where he talks about, as for you, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. And then he talks about older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent, so on and so forth. But these are things that are suitable or fitting, again, for sound doctrine. This sound doctrine in this, this picture comes up with being things that are exhorting and reproving throughout this book and throughout Paul's letters, uh, even to Timothy. Which, is, which I think gives us reason to believe that these things that he's referring to here are things related to sound doctrine, the things that come from God, the words of God. So that he's saying these things, that is these things that represent sound doctrine, these words that come from God, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. So that's the first point here in our study of this text. And that is that this communication is from God and it relates to sound doctrine. These are the things that we need to take seriously. Uh, when you read your Bible and you study, and you should do that, uh, it isn't enough that you have a good idea about what you think the verse is saying, because you may be wrong. You want to know for sure. So read your, that's one reason why it's good to have the Crawford Study Bible, even though it's not perfect, but it is a good place to go to get an idea of the text and the background and so on and so forth. John's done work there in the text and done his homework. And it's just good to know, to, to be assured of the text and what you're talking about. Do you understand what I'm saying? The words that, that you're studying. So we said these things 
which would be the things of God's word, the things of God's truth. And then the first thing there, and, and uh, what I'm going to look at next is I just called it just for the sake of trying to get through this text. And I was sitting there in my bed back in the motel room. These, uh, this, I call it construction. The, the first one is communication, which we just looked at is God's communication to us. The second is construction. And that is just simply this. There are three or four words that give us perspective on how we are to handle these words. So I've just called it. These are things that, that, that come that we are constructing in our mind's eyes how to deal with these words. And let me say this as well, um, while I'm thinking about it. These things that are here, every one of them are in the present imperative. And what that means in the Greek is that they are things that are to be continuously, habitually repeated. So when he says these things speak, you could interpret that these things habitually speak. When he says exhort, you could interpret that these things constantly or, or habitually exhort. When he says reprove, you could interpret that or read that not only constantly habitually exhort, but also habitually reprove with all authority. Let no one, and then here again, constantly disregard you. And that means not to let that happen. Don't let anybody uh, disregard that. Always be on top of that. So here is this continual process. This is not a one-time thing. It's not a deal that we do and then it's done and we can now go and do our own merry thing. This is something that we continually want to keep an eye out for in our lives and the things that we teach and the things that we say. I am subject, by the way, to being wrong and so are you. And so if you, if I say something uh, and you disagree with it, I'm not above your coming to me and saying something to you. I think it's kind of a responsibility to do that. We're in the body, we love the savior. And while we love each other, we want each other to be friends and stuff like that. It's more important that we preserve the truth than it is that we just be our good friends to each other. You understand what I'm saying? So it's important. I'm not, I'm not saying that we're going to create a Gestapo mentality. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we want to, to preserve the truth. Thank you very much. So that's important. That's really important. And that's true with all of us. I know that Larry would say the same thing about his teaching out there. In fact, he does all the time. And uh, we appreciate Larry taking that, 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 uh, that ministry for us. And so um, <coughs> let's look at some of these things. The first thing he talks about uh, speaking is just simply communicating. God has bothered to communicate. Um, Hebrews 1, 1, God, who at sundry time and diverse manner, spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days spoken unto us in his son. God having spoke, or God's having spoke has spoken. It's, it, it's his communication both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that is not to say that what he said to the fathers and the prophets is not for us in the New Testament. Neither is it to say that what he's given us in the New Testament eradicates or does anything about what he said to the fathers and the prophets. It's all part of God's communication. The same God communicating to people over a long period of time. His method of communication before the Messiah was through the prophets. They spoke, they spoke to the people, they spoke God's word. Now he's, his method now is speaking through his son 
and uh, the influence of his son through his apostles who are, um, I think it was R.C. talked about that the other day, who are given authority to speak on his behalf, uh, the emissaries type of thing, and that's a good point. And so here is, here is God speaking, God communicating, and he has entrusted this very valuable communication into our hands. And it's really, really, really important that we hold on to this. And I, I'm just going to, I just think that um, you don't mind me giving you a couple of illustrations of, um, of how he's been dealing with me. Psalm 119, if I can uh, turn back over. Psalm 119, and we're looking at um, around verse 75. As I said, the things that I've been wanting and pursuing and seeking and so on and so forth. And um, he says in Psalm 119, verse, verse uh, 75, he says, um, I know, and this is just in my quiet time reading as I'm sitting here, and then these verses kind of slap me in the face in the middle of your quiet time. I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are righteous. Let me stop there for just a moment. We talk about Sunday school. When he says his judgments, he's not necessarily talking about that God has now slammed you on the face for some kind of sin. Uh, it, it is possible, but the judgments can be interruptions, changes of direction, things that you don't like to happen in your day that interrupt. Um, maybe something that somebody says, maybe something that happens. Like I had, a, a, I had somebody bang into my car, not my fault, obviously, but uh, and, and do some damage. Uh, maybe it was my fault after all. But anyway, um, but these things happen. They're like little judgments, things that shake your day up and your life up and things that, that make you stop and they create. And I've gone through that. I've prayed. I've, I've, I've gone through times before where I wake up early in the morning and just lay in the dark and pray about rent not being due or whatever. These little things that, that uh, interrupt your day are little things that happen. They're like little judgments that come. And uh, the writer says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous. That is that they are good. They are intended for good. They come with good perspective. They are designed by you for our profit, even though at the time those judgments come, in those times that I'm crying out to God, they don't sound good. They don't feel good. And I really don't like them. And if the Lord were sitting next to me in the car and say, do you like them? I would say, no, sir, I don't. I'd like to go back to where they were. But you see, he knows what's best. And he's doing what's best. His judgments are righteous. And that in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. He's doing it not because he's mad at me. And even though I may be doing something stupid. He's not doing it because he's just mad at me. And he says, I'm going to get rid of this Peter Jones. Just can't stand that. No, it's not that. He's doing it because he's faithful. Yes, I may. I'm certain I do. I, I need a lot of heavy hands, a lot of judgment. So I could tell you a spankings I got in school that I didn't deserve, but I knew I deserved some. <laughs> but God is faithful to do these things. And, and he does it because he is faithful. And aren't you glad? Because he is our shepherd. And it's the job of the shepherd to make sure that we make it through to the end. 
And if you, if you go to, to John 10, where he talks about my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and so forth. And you can raise all kinds of questions. How do you know that you're going to make it to the end? I mean, I've heard people object to that. I've heard that in my own ears. They've said, yeah, but suppose I myself decide to bail out, and there's no remedy for that. Yes, there is. Your shepherd. It's his job to make sure that you get it, make it to the end. If you're real, it's his job. You think he can do it? Yeah, he sure can. He says, James says, he says, uh, count all joy when you go through various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, perseverance, steadfastness. It's his job to do it. He can send whatever he wants to. He knows how to make you say uncle. He knows how to get your attention. He's doing good. So here is the, the, the picture there. And this, this verse is Psalm 75, Psalm 11875. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me. You know, what he's saying here is, and I've done, I've been over this, in the middle of these trials, in the middle of these difficulties, in the middle of these hardships, when you know that God is gracious and God is merciful, you don't always get immediate comfort from that. But you pray, like he says, help me to realize the greatness of your mercy and your compassion. Help me to realize the magnificence of your care and the fact that you would stoop to my lowest level in order to deal with me in faithfulness. Help me to appreciate that grace and help me to appreciate that mercy and help me to appreciate that care and concern because you're good and you care. And so here he is, that your loving kindness may comfort me. That um, marginal reading on that says, may your loving kindness be for my comfort. Then he goes on to say, according to your word, according to your uh, promise to your servant. So that do this as you promise, you're doing these things out of faithfulness, you're doing these things out of for my good. May these things comfort me. May your compassion come to me so that I may live for your law. Your law is my delight. See, I wanted what my delight was to have this burden relieved. No, what is my delight is your truth, your law that I can rest on, that I can bank on, that I can take comfort in. So that's a good thing. That's just one that reading that verse changes my whole perspective on the trial and the suffering that I'm that I'm experiencing and the things that I and I tell you I've I've prayed lots of things that I want certain things and, and I pray about it, pray about it, pray about it. And sometimes it seems like the, the Lord is not there. He is there. I know he's there. I've gone through this. And verses like this are real encouragements. You understand what I'm saying? Just they're really, really good. So let's get back to the text here. He says these things we continually speak. Uh and you know, about three or four things we have to move kind of quickly. Verses to exhort. It's a comp that's a compound word. Uh, the first part of the word uh, means to come to the side of. It's the word para. It's a preposition. Come to the side of. The second part of the word is kaleo, uh, and that means to call. It means to call alongside. It is the word uh, that is translated paraclete in the King James when it talks about the Holy Spirit. It's one that comes alongside for our comfort and for our encouragement. And that's the idea here, is that he says that the scripture is that which 
comes alongside, comforts us, encourages us, strengthens us, uh, even in our in our rebellion and our hardship and our difficulty. We've already looked at that verse, and I'm not going to go through a lot of others there. But Peter talks about this, and he uses that same word, exhort, in 1 Peter 4. This is the last verse of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and then the first couple of verses of chapter 5. But in 1 Peter 4, verse 19, he says, Therefore, remember Peter talks about suffering. That book is, is, is everything is almost geared to suffering. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls not just to a creator, but to a faithful creator by doing what is right. So they suffer. They may even suffer unjustly, but they are entrusting their souls to a faithful creator, creator by doing what is right. Peter then says, verse 1 of chapter 5, uh, five Therefore, and here's the word, I exhort, I come alongside the elders among you, I exhort you as your fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I'm coming along your side, I'm exhorting you as your fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is future to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. I'm, you've gone through suffering. I'm telling you, you I'm coming alongside. I'm encouraging you to take your responsibility seriously, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but what's this? Proving, proving, proving to be examples to the flock. And when Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Out of that suffering, he comes alongside and challenges those, those uh, among him to take their responsibility of taking oversight and shepherding it because it's that important to work with people. People suffer. People go through hardship and difficult times. And this is, this is one of those things. So the first thing he says in handling these, uh, these things, these things, these, these uh, words from God, he says, speak, be constantly speaking and constantly encouraging the people with these words giving them encouragement, giving them strength, giving them boldness to continue to go on. And then secondly, to reprove. Uh, that's the second word. That word also is used in a lot of the writings of Paul, and I'm not going to go back because we're going to be out of time here. But reprove, which means to convince, uh, to convince, to expose, to show where they're wrong, to even to bring chastening and correcting um, it's the word that's used when, in Matthew 18, 15, when it says, if your brother sins, go and reprove him and help him to see his fault uh, in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. It has to do with church discipline. Um, it's, it's just a good word. So the two things here in handling the scriptures, you encourage people with the scriptures and you correct people with the scriptures where they're going wrong. You see what I'm saying? These are two areas. The encouragement to continue on, not to bail out. And uh, I know what that's like because sometimes 
I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed that many times at night, I may have an emotional um, high being something happened that's kind of exciting, whatever, and been doing some great things, whatever. Go to bed, wake up in the morning, and in the morning when I wake up, it's like all of a sudden I lost my salvation. I'm, I'm dead, I'm dry. Uh, do I want to even get out of bed? Do I want to go through the day? And you have to get up and you have to, you, you, you know you've got to be responsible. You've got to be an adult today. And so you get your Bible and you pray and you ask the Lord. It doesn't take a few minutes of getting in the Word. And I'm saying that, I'm not saying this is a daily occurrence, but it's something that sometimes it happens. And you just have these days of highs and lows. God's Word provides the catalyst to get us through these things and not just, not just help us to just meet the bare minimum, but to get us through so that we are a witness for his kingdom and for his glory, that we'll hear, we'll hear these things again when we stand before him one day uh, and, and uh, that we'll see his glory revealed through the things that we've, this is a preparation time. This is a time in which we are developing now for that day when we stand up and give a witness, that day when, when uh, remember we talked this morning about Jesus being the I am, is always present. One day in glory, we may look back to these things as if it was present and we'll see how we responded and see what you did, what the Lord did to us. I don't want to scare you too bad, but we may look at some of these things in the future and see how God was able to do it. He will do it. His word is powerful and it will work in our hearts and lives. So he says here uh, that this, this, this is number two, exhort or encourage and reprove or correct us helping us to, to take a stand for the truth. And then he goes on from constantly speaking and constantly exhorting and constantly proving. He says, with all authority, um, epitagia is the word, and it has to do, it's, it's like a, uh, an injunction or a decree or a command that is imposed upon someone. Uh, the stress is with the authoritativeness of the command. The word itself is found in the New Testament seven times, and every time except our text, it is translated command or commandment. In our text, it is translated authority. And uh, I guess there's a reason for it. Um, and, and what's interesting also is all the other translations that we like, King James, NIV, uh, the, the English Standard Version, in, uh, American Standard Version, all of them translated authority, even though every other passage where it appears is translated command. And uh, I think there's a reason. I think that the idea here is when he says with all authority, um, the word stresses the command, but it stresses the command given because it's God's authoritative word. And so when you teach, what he's saying here is that when you teach God's word, teach it without giving an option. If God doesn't say, my suggestion is that you do this or do that. He's not in the business of doing that. He's in the business of telling us what we need to do. We may not do it. He, we saw Adam and Eve and how they disobeyed. And they were volitional creatures that they, they had choices and they didn't always make the right choices. Just like you and I don't always make the right choices. But that is still necessary that we have those choices and that we make them. And so here is what he's saying here is that these things that we are to speak and exhort and reprove, these words that uh, we're communicating back and forth, Sunday school, adult 
classes, church, whatever your beats class, whatever. We don't only really teach, but we command with authority because it's God's word. It is not option. Now, as I said, people may turn their back on it, and that happens a lot. And people, if they turn their back on it, suffer the consequences many times. Um, I've we've worked with couples that I've even had people commit suicide after these things, going through some of these things because they are not to just get depressed. Because when you're living in disobedience, you can't have that excitement. You can't have that generating joy. You can't have the the smile that permeates your life when you're living in. And you know you're not walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord keeps bugging you about it, bugging you about it, bugging you about it. And you don't listen. It becomes very depressing. And people do things, really sad things like that, have emotional stress. So constantly speak, constantly exhort, constantly reprove with all authority. And then finally, uh, let no one disregard you. MacArthur um, says that he thinks that word, you know, he... He carried the word carries the idea of thinking around something, usually for the purpose of invasion. Um, if someone wants to disregard the truth, um, you don't want to allow that. You don't want to let that happen. That's one reason why we have church discipline is because we have a standard that's a biblical standard, and if people are in the church and participating in the church, but they are breaking away from the standard of scripture. I mean, I'm not talking about a little something, but I'm talking about a serious disobedience that could bring church discipline. That's what's going on in, in uh, I think, in Titus chapter 3, which uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 9, the writer says, avoid foolish controversies. Uh, and, and here again is the, is the importance of taking care of the word and protecting the word and not being detoured by it. He says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about law. Sometimes people like to do that. They just like to argue. They want to bicker about all kinds of crazy things and get involved in all kinds of detours because they're not interested in the truth. They're interested in being argumentative. They just want to get in there and say something. So it says, avoid those kind of things for they are unprofitable and worthless. And then he says, reject the factious, factious man. That's discipline. If the person is a factious person, you reject him. Uh, that is, if he's causing division, you reject him after the first and second warning. In the first and second warning, he won't listen. He continues on. Then you tell him he's not able. He's not going to be treated as a believer. He's going to be treated as an unbeliever until he repents, until he gets his act together, until he takes God's word seriously. Factious means creating divisions, departing from the truth, turning your back on the truth. And so this is this is uh, this is just telling us to be careful with the truth and how we handle the truth and how we respond to it because it's God's truth and it's the most important thing we possess. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to obey it and we need to hold each other accountable for it. It's really important. So that's kind of, that's that one verse that we got through, believe it or not. And uh, it is a good verse and uh, it was a good time up there with the Creation Museum. And I'm really thankful to the Lord for that time that we had together. Larry did a good job of behaving himself there as well. But remember, every day, make it a point to read. I, I tell people that. I'm trying to get to, to, to uh, and, and, and it's not that I'm a model for that example, but I know that that is where the power and the victory and the hope and the success comes. As we, we can't, we can't, what Colossians says, um, 
Set your affection on things above, not on the earth. Where, it's, where Christ is seated right here. You can't just set your affection on things above. You can't just delight yourself in God so that he'll, he'll begin to give you new desires for your heart. You can't do that just by med meditating on your belly button. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to make room in your life for God's Word. Read it and begin to digest it and put it in your life and uh, read it out loud and let God use it in your life and have that serious confrontation because it will generate an emotional response to the Lord. It will make a difference in your life, and God will use it in your life. So let me close in prayer. I'm already over time. Dear Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the word that you've given to us, the hope that we have uh, because of it. And I, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your, your mercy, your grace, and your patience, which you have poured out in my life. Uh, I am so thankful to you for that, and I I will acknowledge I am very stubborn, uh, very hard-headed at times, and uh, I just really, really, really appreciate your mercy, your grace, and your love, and uh, I pray that you help me to follow you rather than trying to get, rather than trying to manipulate you to doing what I want, because I know I have nothing to barter with. I know that, that I am absolutely void of anything to offer um, and yet, uh, sometimes I think I can do something stupid like that, which I know is not true. I know I can't manipulate you. And so I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your goodness to me and to us. And I pray that you'll help us to put you, take you seriously. And uh, thank you for these people, Father. I ask your blessing upon them. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.